Welcome to Cancer HealthCasts, where science is driving hope. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. Some of you may remember that last year on HealthCast, we brought you a special mini-series that commemorated the 50th anniversary of the National Cancer Act, the legislation that empowered the National Cancer Institute to double down on the war on cancer. We learned a lot about the last 50 years of progress all across the cancer research space, from improvements to prevention and diagnostics, treatment, research technologies, health equity, and more. Last year was a great learning experience to reflect on how decades of work have brought us to where we are now in fighting cancer. But we left off thinking about all of the progress that's still evolving and wondering what's in store for the future. This was especially the case after President Joe Biden announced that he wanted to reignite the cancer moonshot, an initiative that looks to accelerate advancements in cancer research and care. He even said he wanted to reduce cancer death rates by 50% over the next 25 years. These goals are ambitious and exciting, so I want to take you along on the journey and see what strides are happening across the cancer research and care space. To do this, I'm happy to let you know that I'm working in partnership with NCI again to bring you Cancer HealthCasts monthly, bringing you conversations about how scientific discoveries are creating hope for those at risk for or struggling with cancer. For the first episode, I'm thrilled to bring you a very special guest, Dr. Steven Rosenberg, NCI's Center for Cancer Research Surgery Branch Chief. Dr. Rosenberg has decades of cancer research under his belt, and in more recent years, he has been one of the early successful pioneers of immunotherapy, a form of cancer treatment that leverages the immune system to attack cancer cells. For a long time, many biomedical experts and oncologists thought that immunotherapy wouldn't be a viable, let alone realistic, option for combating cancer. But thanks to strides by innovators like Dr. Rosenberg, it's becoming a reality today. While Dr. Rosenberg has worked on introducing effective immunotherapies throughout his research, he and his team have made a big discovery in immunotherapy this past winter in the middle of a study they've been conducting. The finding, which was published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in February, found that a new experimental form of immunotherapy successfully led to tumor reduction in metastatic breast cancer. While the clinical trials for this research is ongoing, studies like this are where the future of cancer treatment is occurring. Dr. Rosenberg will walk us through the process of his study and run down the details of how immunotherapy works and how we can see applications of it in the clinical space down the line. So thank you, Dr. Rosenberg, for joining us for our first episode of our Cancer HealthCast series. It's very exciting to chat with you today. Pleasure to be here. So in early February, NCI announced that a study that you're leading is showing promising potential of immunotherapy to treat uh, metastatic breast cancer. But before we go into the details of the study itself, you know, you're one of the early leading pioneers of immunotherapy. So I want to start there. 
when did immunotherapy start becoming a promising treatment for cancer and how did it evolve and get developed more leading to the start of your study that we're here to chat about today? Immunotherapy is actually very recent compared to other, uh, other treatments. The first patients to uh, receive an immunotherapy and see tumor regressions occurred in 1985, uh, and that was with the administration of a hormone called interleukin-2 that uh, could stimulate the immune system within patients. Uh, and that uh, those first patients, the first patient ever treated was a young woman who had widespread melanoma, received interleukin-2, all her disease disappeared, and she remains completely disease-free now over 30 uh, years later. And that was first approved by the FDA in 1992. So we're talking about 30 years ago was the first uh, effective immunotherapies and the first approved immunotherapies for cancer. But to put that in context, we have up until the development of immunotherapy, three major forms of treating cancer. Surgery, been around for 3,000 years, reported from ancient Egyptian documents. Radiation therapy dates from 1996, a year after Rentgen described x-rays when the beam was was uh, directed at a woman who had uh, an aggressive breast cancer and saw it shrink. And modern chemotherapy uh, just started uh, in 1942 as a result of biologic warfare experiments done at Fort Detrick here in, uh, here in Maryland when laboratory investigators were inadvertently exposed to nerve gas or nitrogen mustard. They saw lymphocytes disappear in the body, and that then became a treatment for patients with lymphomas and leukemias, first used at uh, Yale in 1942. So we're talking about three treatments that have been available for quite some time. The problem is that despite the best application of those treatments, over 600,000 Americans die of cancer every year. Uh, and so there was clearly a desperate need for new approaches. And this latest approach that we're seeing with a reasonable effectiveness uh, in some cancers is called immunotherapy, which is a way to stimulate the body's own natural defenses to treat the cancer. So we don't use scalpels, radiation beams, or drugs. Rather, we take advantage of the body's natural immune system that recognize the cancer as, as foreign, but not foreign enough to reject them as much they would with a viral or bacterial infections. Uh, but uh, in fact, we can now stimulate these natural body immune systems to fight the cancer, and we've seen good cancer regressions in, uh, in selected diseases, selected types of cancer. Definitely, and thank you for that uh, contextual background. I'm sure it's very helpful for the listeners. So um, I want to now zone in on the study that you've been conducting, which looks at how personal immunotherapy can help metastatic breast cancer. So why was this kind of cancer a viable form of cancer to examine for this particular study? And can you explain to our listeners how you looked to set it up? So a little background about the immune system will be necessary to understand this. And, and that is the nature of the immune system that can fight tissue such as cancers or organs that are transplanted, is the cellular immune system. There are cells in the body called lymphocytes that are the main warriors of the immune system. And so we have about a million of these lymphocytes circulating in every milliliter, every thimble full of blood 
uh, in our body. And these lymphocytes are constantly circulating through the body. Every 14 seconds, the heart pumps out blood and completely recirculates through the organs and then returns to the heart. And it's uh, these lymphocytes that we attempt to modify or identify that can recognize the cancer uh, as foreign. And as they circulate, they recognize their target, they stop at that site, they divide, uh, and that's what an immune system is. It's the expansion of lymphocytes with a specific reactivity to recognize an individual antigen, such as a virus, but in this case, uh, a cancer. And so we've tried to take advantage of lymphocytes in a patient that can recognize the cancer naturally. Uh, and this is something we've been working on for several, uh, several decades. It turns out that uh, these lymphocytes uh, that recognize a cancer can recognize unique molecules on a cancer and not normal cells. Uh, and it's the damage to normal cells that causes most of the toxicity of surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. And so it's important to understand what the immune system is recognizing uh, in these solid cancers that go all the way from the colon to the stomach to the pancreas, the ovary, the prostate, the esophagus, uh, cancers. Uh, and each of those solid organs are formed because the normal cells in the body that are constantly dividing in those organs have to replicate their DNA. Uh, and that is the code that monitors and controls all aspects of uh, life's functions. And so as the cells divide, they have to replicate their DNA as new DNA is formed in these new cells, mistakes are made as it's copied from one cell to another. And it's these mistakes in the copies of DNA that are called mutations. Cancer is caused by the accumulation of these mutations that can dysregulate the functions of a normal cell. And so as the cell divides, it accumulates these mutations uh, until ultimately the combined activity of those mutations results in disordered growth of cells, ability of cells to spread to other organs, the two major uh, differences between tumor and normal cells, uh, and it's these mutations that cause the cancer itself. Well, one of the things that we've done and taken advantage of is the fact that it's these mutations that separate normal cells from cancer cells, and so we've discovered that in fact the immune system can recognize the products of these mutations and form an immune reaction against them. And if we can stimulate an immune reaction against these mutations, we can develop treatments that will affect only the cancer and not normal cells. And so one of the advantages of this approach is that since virtually all cancers have mutations and we're targeting those, a wide variety of cancer types can potentially be applicable if we can figure out a way to target these mutations, recognize them in a cancer, and destroy the uh, and destroy the cancer. And so that's what we've uh, done. We've demonstrated that the immune system can recognize over 80% of all of the solid cancers that result in 90% of all cancer deaths. And so it's targeting the products of these mutations that is the immune system we're working on. And we previously reported regressions of some patients with uh, liver cancer, with colon cancer, with cervical cancer. And now 
uh, in patients with, uh, with breast cancer. And that's what this paper that we published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology several months ago uh, deals with. Excellent. So I want to focus on the tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. You were mentioning how lymphocytes are, you know, the main warriors of the immune system. So for this study, you found that tumor infiltrating lymphocytes or TILs have been a critical piece of successfully treating the patients that you've been studying um, here with metastatic breast cancer. So can you explain a little bit more about TILs for our listeners and how they interact with breast cancer tumors to shrink them? Sure. So when we began these studies trying to identify the lymphocytes in the body that can recognize cancer, we looked at a variety of sites that lymphocytes exist in. And intuitively, what better place to look for a lymphocyte doing battle against the cancer than within the cancer itself? And so we looked at lymph nodes, we looked at blood, we looked at a variety of organs, but the highest concentration of cells that are doing battle against the cancer are those cells, those lymphocytes that actually infiltrate into the solid tumor, the solid cancer. Uh, and again, in 80% of patients with these solid cancers, we can find these, and that's true for breast cancer as well. And so we uh, can excise a breast cancer or a metastatic nodule, a nodule that has spread from the local site, isolate the lymphocytes that are present in that tumor itself that are doing battle against the cancer, but ineffectively because uh, the cancer is growing despite the presence of these lymphocytes. But we can, in very sophisticated laboratory tests, identify the lymphocytes that can recognize the cancer. Now, it turns out that about one in every thousand lymphocytes that we could find within the cancer actually has the ability to recognize the cancer. Again, the products of these mutations. That's one in a thousand. If we look in the peripheral blood, for example, it's one in a hundred thousand. So a uh, hundredfold uh, lower concentration. We can find them in the blood, but it's much easier to find them in the, uh, in the tumor itself. And so the treatment that we've developed involves isolating those rare lymphocytes within the tumor, identifying the ones that can recognize the cancer, and then selectively growing those cells outside the body, generating very large numbers of them, and then returning them to the patient after we've eliminated the negative elements in the patient that will prevent those lymphocytes from working. So the immune system is like many other organs. There's a, uh, a stimulatory and an inhibitory aspect uh, of the immune system. And by getting rid of the inhibitory factors and then giving the positive cells that can recognize the cancer, we've been able now to achieve cancer regressions, even in some patients with widespread metastatic disease that uh, have progressed through all available current therapies. So in this paper in breast cancer, we studied 42 different breast cancers from different individuals in about 70%, 68% of those patients, we could find lymphocytes that could actually recognize the cancer based on laboratory tests. And we can then take those cells that have been identified, grow them to very large numbers and return them to the patient. And as we showed in this particular paper for the first time that <clears throat> these immune cells can be very commonly found. Uh, and the first patient we treated with these highly selected cells with uh, breast cancer 
uh, was treated a little over five years ago. She had widespread disease in her, throughout her liver and her lung. All our cancer disappeared, uh, and uh, she remains disease-free now over five and a half years later. And so that at least demonstrated that it could work in breast cancer patients, but we didn't know how frequently we could find those cells. Now in the study of these 42 consecutive patients, we know we can find it in the great majority, almost 80%, and we've begun clinical trials to utilize this as a therapy. This paper reports the first pilot trial and the first six patients to receive this, and three of those six patients have uh, undergone cancer, uh, cancer regressions. That's really astounding seeing how much progress there is there and that you can identify that, you know, one out of every thousand lymphocytes can have this amazing capability. Um, so I'm curious, what kinds of technologies have helped you really advance treatment discoveries like this, especially, it, you know, it takes so much precision and it's become really cutting edge the past few years. So I'm curious to see what kinds of innovations have helped you develop these kinds of treatments? And um, you know, what have been some of the critical tools that you've used to learn that immunotherapy works, whether it's with the TILs or other options like checkpoint inhibitor treatments? Well, in this particular case, in which we are actually targeting mutations, we're very dependent on the modern revolution in molecular biology and gene sequencing. As you probably heard, it took 10 years and over $2 billion to sequence the human, the human genome. But with uh, developments now, we can actually sequence the genes that code for every protein that is made within the body. We can identify every mutation by doing this whole exome sequencing of the DNA in about 10 days. To analyze this massive amount of data takes another couple of days, and so within two weeks, we can take advantage of modern gene sequencing to identify every genetic abnormality uh, that has occurred, every mutation that has occurred in the genome of a cancer uh, patient. And we do that in my own lab uh, now. And so within two weeks of taking out a tumor, we know all of the mutations, we know what it is we need to recognize. And due to the development of techniques in immunology, we've been able to marry those to the molecular biology information. and develop immune tests to identify the very tiny fraction of lymphocytes that can recognize the cancer. And so this is typical of uh, advancements that are made in medicine. We're always building on prior information and new technologies that enable us to do things that just weren't possible uh, even several decades ago. Fantastic. I want to talk about precision medicine for a bit because that's a, another key part of making immunotherapy happen. Personalized and precision medicine require significant amounts of data on individuals. Um, so have you leveraged growing data capabilities and things like that on top of the technologies and innovation you're using to help inform your research on individualized immunotherapy in this study or in other areas of immunotherapy? So it looks like immunotherapy and the development of a successful immunotherapy is going to have to be highly personalized. Now, when one operates on a patient or uses radiation therapy or gives drugs, these are applications that can be widely, uh, widely applied to large numbers of patients. Uh, and in fact, we have checkpoint modulators that have been developed, a kind of immunotherapy in which we use antibodies to block these negative reactions uh, that prevent the immune system from working to enable them to work. But 
the checkpoint modulators do not impact on the overwhelming, on the, on the majority of patients that have the solid cancers. And so we needed a new, uh, a new approach. Now, because we're identifying lymphocytes that can recognize an individual patient's cancer, we could then clone those genes and identify the exact antigen being recognized. And here comes the big surprise, because when we did that, it turns out that every patient's Every patient had a unique set of mutations, and every one of these 42 patients that we studied were recognizing a unique antigen, a, a mutation that was unique only to their cancer and not shared by other cancers. And so this approach of targeting the mutations in a patient's cancer is good news and bad news. The good news is that most cancers have mutations, and therefore it's possible to apply this to a wide variety of different cancer types, uh, as opposed to most drugs, for example, that might work in some cancers and not, uh, and not others. But the uniqueness of recognition means that every patient will require an absolutely unique drug to treat them, that is their own lymphocytes that are targeted against a mutation in their cancer and no other cancers. So it's the very height of personalized medicine. We develop a new drug for every patient. That is, we take their lymphocytes, we identify the ones that can recognize the cancer, we selectively expand them, and their recognition is of a molecule that's present in that patient's cancer and no other patient. And so it's a very highly personalized treatment. Now, more recently, we've been able to identify a very tiny percentage of antigens that can be shared among patients, but the overwhelming majority are unique to the individual patient. And so this will have to be quite uniquely developed. Now, that makes it complex uh, with multiple steps involved. It's not uh, taking a vial off the shelf and giving it to a, uh, to a patient. But we've already shown that that can work because in the treatment of patients with the liquid tumors that, is, that are in the bloodstream and circulating, we in 2009, for the first time, developed a way to genetically modify a patient's lymphocytes by inserting a gene that would recognize a common molecule that can be found in the liquid tumors, the, the blood tumors, but not the solid tumors. And that treatment targeting a shared molecule that's present on these blood tumors. Uh, we can develop treatments that are highly personalized. In fact, there are several companies now uh, in the United States and around the world that will take a patient's lymphocytes, patients with lymphomas or leukemias, take their normal lymphocytes, insert a receptor that will recognize these blood tumors and give them back to the patient. And in about 50% of the time, that uh, has shown to uh, lead to 50% uh, complete regressions in patients with uh, aggressive forms of leukemia and, uh, and lymphoma. So it's this personalized approach, taking a patient's own cells and using them for treatment, that uh, is this uh, new development and a new tool that we have available to fight cancers. Already an activity in the liquid tumors that arise in the blood, blood organs and bone marrow. Uh, and we're now attempting to apply it to patients with the solid cancers that are the major, uh, the major killers.
That's truly astounding. And um, before I circle back to your study, I just uh, was curious, even though you've seen a lot of success with immunotherapy so far, I wonder if there are instances where it's been combined with other existing therapies or treatments, whether it's like, you know, the surgery or radiation and chemotherapy that you were discussing earlier. Sure. Well, it's, it's important to emphasize that the treatments that I'm talking about for the solid cancers are experimental and not yet approved by the by the uh, Food and Drug Administration. In contrast to the blood tumors uh, that have been uh, have been approved as cell uh, as cell therapies, it's also important to realize that in addition to being experimental, most patients do not respond. The fact that we can get responses in a variety of different cancers: liver, colon, cervix, now breast, uh, is an indication that this can work. And we're now working around the clock, as are many investigators around the world, trying now to extend its ability to, to treat multiple, uh, multiple cancer types. So it's very much a treatment in development. There are over 300 companies around the world that have been tabulated that are now trying to develop these cell-based, these cell-based immunotherapies. And I think we're going to see a lot of progress in the next few years. Uh, and the utilization of this particular personalized approach to uh, to treatment. Certainly, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it continues to grow, especially since it's been really expanding just the past few years alone. Um, so speaking of the future, your study is now in its phase two clinical trials. So where do you see your study continuing as you move forward? And how is the TIL immunotherapy discovery informing some of your next steps? So we've begun uh, clinical trials now, and they're available at several institutions, but a very limited number around the United States for selected tumors. Here, we're trying to emphasize the treatment of patients with breast cancer and colon cancer, where we've seen responses occur. And so here at the National Cancer Institute, we have a state-of-the-art 300-bed hospital uh, that marries science along with uh, patient treatment which is quite a unique situation. The National Institutes of Health represents the largest and certainly the most effective research hospital in the world because we have 3,000 scientists on our campus that are studying various diseases, not only cancer, but other diseases, and then a state-of-the-art hospital in which these experimental treatments can be applied to, uh, to patients. And so we're actively now uh, seeing patients with metastatic breast cancer, uh, certainly, any new patients that would like to be considered can contact uh, can contact us, and I could give you that contact uh, information. Uh, and we'd be delighted to see if, in fact, they are uh, suitable for uh, for our treatment. We have several. We have multiple patients in the hospital as we speak, uh, and uh, as we treat these patients. We will study them intensively to try to understand why some patients respond and others do not and utilize that information, that scientific information, to make adjustments to, uh, to enable improvements in, uh, in the treatment and make it more widely available. So I love how you are talking about how NIH marries science and patient treatment. And I want to take a look at the patient level for a second. So. There are lots of people out there with cancer at the moment. So how would they know when immunotherapy would be a viable treatment option for them, especially as 
you know, effective instances appear, such as the one you're working on. I know you said it's not officially approved yet, it's experimental, but how can they expect to work with their treatment teams to leverage immunotherapy as treatment options continue to grow? It's important to realize that these highly personalized immunotherapies now are experimental uh, and not approved for general use by the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, and this is the way treatments are developed. Patients have to receive normal standard care, which can in many cases prolong survival in breast cancer, for example, for several years, uh, for some other kinds of cancers for prolonging uh, survival for several months. But most common uh, solid cancers that have spread around the body cannot be cured by, by standard treatments, but you can prolong survival, meaningful survival. And so all of the patients that we treat have already received all standard care from their home oncologists. And when that treatment is no longer working, they have the option of uh, receiving an experimental treatment, uh, especially the ones that we have available here at the NIH and at a very limited number of other, uh, of other institutions. The NIH is quite unique in the way it marries science uh, and clinical care. We have a state-of-the-art hospital, uh, 3,000 scientists and physicians on our campus <clears throat> that are working to uh, develop new treatments for a variety of disease types as we try to create a medicine to be used as it's uh, as it's being developed and ultimately ultimately approved and so patients should receive standard treatment from their home oncologist and when that's uh, no longer helping prevent the progression of their disease they have the option of being referred here to the NIH uh, for uh, for receipt of these experimental treatments. They can, in fact, email me at sar at nih.gov uh, or our immunotherapy referral service is IRC, which is immunotherapy referral. IRC at nih.gov is the email. Uh, and uh, if you do email and uh, will instantly answer and uh, start accumulating the information to see if patients are uh, suitable for this treatment type. I can also give you the phone number for our immunotherapy referral nurses, which is 866-820-4505. Uh, and so we are seeking patients now, especially with breast cancer and colon cancer, but for many of the major solid, uh, solid cancers. Excellent. I'm sure that will come in handy. So even though you're studying how immunotherapy can work in solid tumors at the moment, what other cancers can cell-based therapies or immunotherapies such as this help? And where do you hope to continue growing in this field of cancer study overall? So you raised two uh, important, uh, important differences, uh, questions. The first is that there is an approved, an FDA approved treatment utilizing this cell therapy for patients with aggressive lymphomas and leukemias, because we can take a patient's cells, genetically engineer them by inserting genes that will enable those cells to recognize those lymphomas and leukemias, return them to patients, and uh, can achieve uh, for given types of those uh, blood-derived cancers, a 50% objective regression rate that is durable 
or sometimes curable in patients. We were the first people that ever treat a patient with what are called these chimeric antigen receptor cells, CAR cells, for patients with lymphoma. We treated our first patient in 2009. He had widespread disease throughout his body, underwent a complete regression, now ongoing over 12 years later. A, uh, several biotech companies, Kite Pharma, Novartis, then quickly began uh, trying to develop these uh, along with investigators here at the NIH and at the University of Pennsylvania. And it's now an FDA-approved treatment for patients with uh, these blood cancers. Not yet approved by the FDA for any of the solid tumors, but uh, that's something that we're working on right now quite aggressively. Now, how do we improve this treatment? Well, as we treat patients in these phase two trials, some patients respond and others do not. In fact, most, given the current development of it, do not respond, but many do. And by analyzing the differences between the patients that do respond to the treatment compared to those that do not respond to the treatment, we can then in the laboratory determine what are the determinants of response and utilize that information to alter the treatment to, uh, to improve it. And that's one of the advantages here of having an intensive scientific effort ongoing on campus, a 300-bed state-of-the-art hospital in which we can treat the patients with these experimental uh, methods uh, and continue to try to uh, improve upon the treatment. It's great to see that we can continue iterating, and it's a truly exciting time with this wonderful growing area of cancer study and research. And so I wanted to take a moment here to just thank you again for sharing this one instance, but also educating all of us on what is truly a promising future option for people who have cancer. Well, you're very welcome. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.